the Holy Gospel of Mark, according to the sixth chapter. Praise to you, O God. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had bound him and put him in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to, to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John into the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciple came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. So wonderful to be back with you this morning. And uh, our sermon this morning comes from our epistle reading, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. <clears throat> and now, may the heart, your eyes of your hearts be enlightened that you may know the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the movie Back to the Future, released in 1985, Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, and his eccentric scientist, Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, used a futuristic DeLorean to go back to the future in the 1950s. You see, Doc Brown's experiment had gone awry. 
And Marty McFly and Doc Brown had to go back to the 1950s to make sure his parents fell in love so that Marty McFly would exist in the future. And in the sequel, uh, as they went back to the present time, they had found that Marty McFly's father had been killed, and Biff Tannen, Marty's chief nemesis, had profited. And after undercovering the secret of Biff's success that they found in a sports almanac from the future, Marty and Doc embarked on a quest to repair the damage that had been done. And even though they used a scientific discovery to try and fix the things that had gone awry, they speak to us today that they are mortal and finite creatures. And ever since the fall, we too realize that whatever we try and fix, well, it just fails as well. Anything we try to fix out of our own strength is nothing but sinking sand. However, God is immortal. God is omnipotent. He knows all things at once. God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. And he is the only one to fix the mess that we are in. And following our text this morning, if you want to look at chapter 2 of Paul's letter to Ephesus, Paul wrote, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The church at Ephesus was a strong church, both in life and practice and in doctrine. And that is why Paul, in his opening of his letter, prayed, as I prayed this morning, that their eyes of their hearts be enlightened, that they would know the height, the breadth, the width, and the depth of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul wanted to show them the greatness of who they are in Christ. But Paul, here in Ephesians chapter 2, reminds them who they once were apart from Christ. And likewise, we too must be reminded of who we were apart from Christ and who we will be and are in Christ. And this morning's text does just that. Please note that all of Paul's verbs 
are in the past tense. He states that you were dead in trespasses and sins. You did live in darkness. You did follow the lusts of your flesh. And according to original sin, we're children of wrath. Sometimes it's hard to remember the vile and heinous things that we did before we were Christians. Or maybe some of you followed the faith from a young child. But either way, we can all relate to Paul's words to the Romans, who says, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. This now brings us to our text this morning. You see, Marty and Doc were constrained to be physically present, either in the past or the present or in the future. However, God stands outside of time. As a matter of fact, God is the author of time. And in this morning's text, Paul demonstrates how God is outside of time and how his plan of salvation comes through to fruition through the work of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In verses 3 through 6 from our text, in the letter to Ephesians, we see the work of the Father. In verses 7 through 12, we see the work of his Son. And in verses 13 and 14, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. Now in English, a good translation of the Bible gives you a nice colored TV picture of this. However, in the Greek, you get to see it in HD TV, high definition TV. You see in English, we have generally three verb tenses, the present, the past, and the future, right? Like make, made, or will make. But you see in the Greek, they have what they call an aorist tense of the verb. And in the aorist tense of the verb is like putting all three of these together into one verb tense. So in other words, you have the past, the present, and the future all in one tense. And it's not so much in regards to time, but into God's action towards you and towards your salvation. Again, to reiterate, Paul wants the church of Ephesus and us to know the greatness 
of what it means to be in Christ and also the magnificent working of the Holy Trinity who brings salvation to you. In verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Although you were dead in your trespasses and sins, through the gift of faith, God has blessed you in the past, in the present, and in the future of all his spiritual gifts in the heavenly places. It's like God has given you a giant warehouse and everything in it is yours. Every single thing in every aisle and in every shelf, it's all yours. The only problem is, is that we live here now in the present. We can only experience those gifts by going aisle by aisle and shelf by shelf. But it's still all yours. He has blessed you with every spiritual gift. Every single one. He has not left one out. It's all yours. And then he goes on in verse 4. He says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. God has chosen you. You did not choose him. He chose you. And not only did he choose you, he chose you before the foundations of the world were even formed. He set his heart and his affection upon you. And he sets his heart and affection upon you now. And he will continue to set his heart and his affection upon you in the future. And that you are holy and blameless in him because God sent his son here to the cross to die for you. And through the gift of faith, God has now taken his robe of righteousness and wrapped it around you. And so God looks at you as being holy and blameless because of what Christ did on the cross for you. And then in verse 5 and 6, Paul goes on to say, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestows on us in the beloved. According to the kind intention of the Father's will, he predestined you before the foundation of the world in both the future, the now, and the yesterday. The Father, as he says here, freely bestowed. Freely. He didn't grudgingly gave it to, give it to you. 
He freely gave it to you, and he gave it all to you. As I had mentioned earlier, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours. And he will freely bestow it upon you in your future as well. And it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Paul in another place says, where grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. He continues on verse 7 and 8. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. You see, in God's perfect wisdom and insight, he says he lavished upon you his grace. Another aorist tense verb where he lavished on you in the past his grace. He's lavishing on you this morning, today, his grace. And he will lavish on you in the future as well. He just didn't sprinkle a little bit of grace. He lavished it on you. It's like a levee overflowing. The, the water, the levee can't contain God's grace. He has lavished it upon you. According to his kind intention. God is not an ogre. God speaks kindly of you. He speaks kindly of you because he loved you so much that he sent his only beloved son to this cross to die for you. We have redemption in Christ through his blood. He loved you so much that Christ voluntarily went to the cross to redeem you and I from all sin and from the ultimate death. We have Christ's further action in our letter this morning. Verse 11 says, In him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. He works all things according to his will, his counsel for the good 
especially those of the household of faith. And he has given you an inheritance. You obtained it, again, going back to the heiress tense, you obtained it in the past, you're obtaining it now, and you will obtain it in the future. And this inheritance is not going to rust. It's not going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. Your inheritance is like gold, precious gems and stones that will withstand the judgment because Christ was already judged for you. And now you have an inheritance that will last for all eternity. And you will be co-reigning with Christ in his glory in the near future. Lastly, we have the work of the Holy Spirit towards your salvation. Verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You see, the Holy Spirit has worked in you in the past, is working in you now as we speak, and will continue to work in you in the future. You listened, you believed, and you were sealed. And the promise, the promise that you were sealed is right here in front of you in your baptismal font. God has put his seal upon you, his forgiveness, and has washed you and cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And through the promise of the gospel and being sealed by the Holy Spirit, God has pronounced you his bride as you wait, await for your holy matrimony for the bridegroom for all eternity. And not only this, God has given you a pledge of first fruits, a guarantor of his Holy Spirit. 
a guarantor that heaven awaits you. He's already given it to you. You already have it now. And you will ultimately have it in the future. All of these aorist tense verbs that Paul gives to us this morning is something that you already had, that you have, and that you will have. And in a moment, one thing that's not in the text is God has pledged to meet you here at the altar where Christ has promised to feed you, to nourish you, to strengthen you. He's promised to be here each and every Sunday in, around, and under, and through bread and wine that you may taste on your lips that you are forgiven. This is his pledge to you every Sunday right here at the altar. Marty and Doc signified the finite creatures that we are. But God's word is not high-definition television. It is unchanging as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. In the name of Jesus. Amen.